Welcome in. It is the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer, and we obviously have transitioned away from giving you updates on labor negotiations between the league and the union because we are going to have a season of 60 games. We obviously have no clue about how long it's going to go depending on COVID-19. So we're going to have to sit here and assume that we're going to have 60 games plus a postseason. And we've got a lot of things to hit on uh, over the course of today's episode. Jake, how are you doing? I'm okay. You know what they say about assuming, though. Yeah, you assume and, and bad things happen. It, it's, it's, a, it's a weird mental place to be because the only thing that we can really do is just assume that these games are going to happen and analyze them as such, right? Yeah, I think you have to also consider the what if of what if things have to get shut down and what would that mean? But um, yeah, positive mindset is probably uh, the most healthy way to think about it right now. Um, Maybe I'm, uh, you know, there's the realistic side versus the, the positive side and Somewhere in the middle, maybe, is the best. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we, we, you know, it is it is interesting to finally transition back to, like, baseball mode and learning the new roster rules and how stuff works, and it's very confusing and wacky. Well, let's start with some news. On Sunday afternoon, Jake, the Astros announced their initial player pool for the 2020 season. This was, I hesitate to say deadline to do it because it's not really clear to me if there was a deadline to do so, but the Astros did put 56 guys on their initial player pool. They can add to this. I think they can subtract from this as well. What were your early impressions, your initial impressions, I should say, about the 56 guys they put on the, on the player pool for this shortened season? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think there was any major surprises. I think the the number one thing you look for is are all of the players you expect to be on there on there, uh, yeah. which they were. Um, had they not been, then you you go into the question of all right, are they opting out and, and so forth. But um, for the Astros' purposes, and and I think for all the teams I've seen so far, um, the big big guns were there on the on the roster. Um, you know that I think every team left some space because um, the reason to leave flexibility is if you take a player off this sixty-man player pool, uh, you have to make an actual transaction with them. Number one, which means like a DFA or um, a release, in the, if you're on the forty-man roster, and number two is once you remove the player, they cannot come back for the rest of the year or the playoffs on the player pool. So. Um, some teams left more than 10 spots open. The Astros left yeah. four. four. Um, and yeah, this leaves them space to, you know, do free agent signings or waiver claims. They they do only have one opening on their 40-man roster, so you have to keep that in mind. Those those rules still apply, but um, it, it, it was kind of a no-brainer, I think, to, to leave some flexibility there. I, I have a thought. Tell me if I am right or wrong on this. I understand for competitive balance reasons, Jake, that Major League Baseball has to keep their 40-man roster rules relatively intact because that's kind of, you know, you know your starting point where, where teams can't just, you know, hoard players year after year. I get that. Do you think in a, in a season where the main enemy is obviously a virus that there should be a little bit more flexibility built into this system? Or do you feel like the rules that they have so far with the movements of players and what they have to do is the right balance between 
you know, flexibility with the virus and competitive balance on the other end, if that makes sense. I think it's actually the right move because it would just get super confusing. Now, I think they would have to, they'll have to adjust if there's some sort of outbreak where a team has to bring up multiple, several, let's call it, um, players who aren't on the 40-man roster to play in active major league games. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen. But yeah, I think there's some exemptions built in. but in terms of like just like the basic rules, I think it makes sense to do it this way because, you know, the 40 man roster, when you're put on, it determines so many different things for the future. You know, your rule five yes. status and options and all this other stuff. So I think it, for future seasons, it would just get like way too out of whack if you just like did away with 40 man rosters for the year. Jake, who should people know about in terms of recent draft picks that are not on this initial 56-man player pool for this season? Like, who are the big names? I know one is Corey Lee, who they picked last year. Who are some of the other guys that Astros fans should be aware of? Um, Hunter Brown, um, who was a twenty their fifth rounder in 2019. He's probably the best prospect from the 2019 class uh, overall. I was a little surprised they didn't they didn't bring him or Corey Lee um, because that that first year of development out of the 2019 draft is so key. You know, you yeah. you come in, you sign, you play like a cup of coffee in low in rookie ball, and then you're into the off season after you get drafted, and then it's that first full year where you really kind of see what the players are. So I, I thought that uh, I was a little surprised they didn't carry a couple of those 2019 draftees. Um, you know, so like their their list is not too dissimilar from big league camp. It's expanded, and there's definitely some guys who weren't in big league camp who are interesting, like um, on the player pool, like uh, Luis Garcia, who is a, a right-handed pitcher, who Keith Law had number three in the Astros system a few months ago. Um, That's right, yes. You know, Sean Dubin, um you know, Brett Canine. There's a few interesting right-handers who we haven't seen in big league camp who they included, but, you know, barring something unforeseen, you're not going to actually see these players in the majors this year. Um, it's more get them, you know, development time in, in person instruction. And if they had to come up, I guess you'd, you'd feel somewhat comfortable relative to other players that you could have picked. One thing I wonder about is, okay, these guys who are left off, who are going to have, you know, in, who, who are possibly going to have futures in baseball and hopefully for the Astros with with the big club, is what they're going to be doing with themselves for the next, I don't know, nine, ten months or so. I mean, are they just basically, you know, like you take a guy like Corey Lee, first round pick last year. Is he basically just going to, you know, one of those baseball I don't want to say academies, but just one of those workout facilities, wherever he might be, or the kid they took from, what was it, New York City, Santos, Mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks ago in the draft. I mean, he's in a different situation because he was literally just drafted by the team and he's a pitcher, but I'm I'm genuinely wondering what these guys are going to do and what James Click is telling them as far as helping their development because they're not going to be really doing much as far as actual competitive baseball until the 2021 season. Yeah, if that, right? Um, there's still a little yes. bit of uncertainty there. Yeah, I, it's basically what you said. It's it's guys going to their local gyms and working out. And, um, you know, they're in contact with their their coaches from the minors. Um, the, all those coaches are still getting paid and, and employed 
Um, and they're in, they ha- each have a group of players to be in charge of. Um, but there's only so much you can do, right, um, without games and without yes. in-person instruction. But, you know, it's the new normal, you know, unfortunately. Um, it just it kind of is what it is. Um, you know, maybe the Astros or other teams will look to add players later in the year to these player pools. Say, like, you're towards the end of the year and the season's still going strong and you have a few spots you don't think you're going to use it's after the deadline maybe you bring up a, another guy for a month give him that, that extra makes month of instruction but um but yeah it's basically just you know zoom, zoom calls with with coaches and phone calls with coaches and and working out at your local your local gym and i assume it's different for guys who are in places like texas or california or arizona than it is for guys in new york and and Pennsylvania and, and places where the virus is uh, a little bit better now. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how it's been for a few months is, is, is players just trying to make the best of the situation. All right. So what should we call this this uh, spring training 2.0? Because we, we were talking before we started recording and this is not Jake going to be like a normal spring training. It's not like through the month of July, you're going to hear reports about how, oh, you know, Justin Verlander went four innings and struck out this many guys. And here's exactly what's happening. All these games. It's going to be real different. Sounds like a lot of, you know, small groups, small workouts. I'm sure they're going to have some kind of, you know, inter squad games, uh, but but it's going to be radically different from a typical you know february or march as far as what people are going to be hearing for what the astros or for that matter any team is actually doing yeah it's a great question and if if listeners have preferences for what they think we should call it please let us know uh in my mailbag that is going to be published on monday i called it spring training 2.0 but spring training 2.0 doesn't really it's a little misleading for what you just said, right? Um, it's not really spring training. So I don't know. I've seen summer camp a lot and I, and I kind of like that. But um, what, what do you think? What do you think we should call it? I'm bad with anything creative. Uh, I was thinking something like uh, the restart or the revamp. But those are probably terrible <laughs> suggestions. We could just call them <laughs> workouts. I don't know. Like that's essentially what they are, right? I mean, I, basically, uh, yeah, it's they're just. They're working out until essentially July, what, 23rd or 24th, right? Uh, which is, which is, let's see, one, two, three, which is actually, you know, it's, it's basically three and a half weeks away. So if things start going better, which I don't even know how you measure that, like it's coming quicker than you actually think as far as actual major league games, knock on wood. Yeah, it is. It's going to be here pretty quickly if it, if it gets here. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, like it's going to be long days for, for these players or for these coaches more so, I guess, because they're like staggering all these small group workouts throughout the day. And they have 56 players total. I wonder how quickly they'll move off the guys who clearly aren't going to factor in to an alternate site or, you know, later hours, earlier hours, whatever. But like, um, it's going to be, it's, it's not going to be like your, your spring training full squad workout where everyone's, huddled around the manager listening to him talk, it's going to be way different. Yes, I definitely agree with you on that. And that's what we have starting basically this upcoming weekend for the Astros and for uh, the other 29 major league teams. One thing that's going to be bizarre about this season, because it's only 60 games, Jake, there is still going to be a trade deadline, which is going to be what? August 31st, right? 
Correct. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting and weird. I, in my mailbag that that I just referenced, I had a few questions about you know already what are the Astros going to go after at the trade deadline? How how <laughs> active is it going to be? Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, it's impossible to forecast what they're going to need because of first of all the the layoff and and um, who's healthy, who's I mean, not, and and then the virus. Like you just can't predict any of this stuff. Um, yes. But also, like, the trade deadline has weird rules this year. So you can only trade from your player pool, which significantly limits, you know, a prospect return or what you could trade for for a player. Um, and also, you're going to have more teams in the race by, you know, just... That's Mathematically. Just because of the math. Um, and, yeah, I, I there's also, like, do you want to give up prospects for a player that you might never actually get to use in the playoffs if the season's wiped out from covid so there's so much going into it that i think it's gonna i don't think it's gonna have like a ton of big moves i think it's gonna be more tinkering on the margins but i'm also projecting it's two months out so it's maybe i'm completely off i don't think you're off at all i mean i i think now maybe on the bright side if assuming we get through a month of the major league season maybe maybe the executives will have a better sense of the likelihood of finishing out the postseason and seeing if they can get, you know, that return on an investment. Hopefully that's the case. I know that's not something you can project, but maybe by the end of August, maybe you might have more of a sense of that because you probably at that point would have had, you know, COVID cases, seen how teams handled it, seen how just the overall structure was working. I still think like a normal trade deadline, but especially heightened this season, the guys who have who you can have under contract through 2021 would have increased value. I think to localize it to the Astros, I mean, from a from a hitting standpoint, this team should have one of the best lineups in baseball when you go through it one through nine, obviously. Um, from a starting pitching standpoint, if their guys stay healthy, I think they'll be okay, especially in a, in a shortened season. My initial thought would be that assuming that they're playing well as a team and let's say in first place, and again, it's a, such a shortened season, it's hard to analyze, but sort of in roots of the postseason, my thought would be maybe they add a reliever because sure. of some questions there. But like that, that would be on, you know, in late June, that's like my initial thought, like not adding a hitter or some big starting pitcher like they did last season, but add a reliever or so to kind of, you know, help bolster your run in 2020. Mike, have I told you about dugout mugs? Dugout Mugs is a company that started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name. They create mugs out of the barrels of baseball bats engraved with your favorite team's logo. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. Yeah, I think if the trade deadline was June 30th, uh, you would say relieve. Like, they never really replaced Will Harris. Um, like, a, no. a reliever would be, like, the, the most likely thing. But who knows what the state of their roster is going to be two months from now. Um, there's more uncertainty than ever. And, um, you know, the players haven't been together with the trainers in three months. Like, who knows what injuries we haven't heard about yet you know what i mean like there's always weird stuff that crops up so um i appreciate that people are already looking ahead to the <laughs> deadline it's very it's fun but it's just impossible to forecast i, I like the concept of the of those writing into your mailbag like we've been stuck inside 
with the virus. Well, some of us have. <laughs> and like we've been going through all this for the last three months. And then immediately, once <laughs> once we get a quote unquote agreement between the league and the union, sort of kind of immediately, these guys are like, all right, trade deadline. <laughs> what what are they going after? Yeah. Like what what are they what is James <laughs> Click gonna add to this team? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it was pretty funny to see that. It was uh it was a lot of a lot of great questions in this mailbag this week. It, it was like it was Definitely uh, an uptick in questions and engagement from readers like as soon as the season was coming back. So that was good to see. And uh, yeah, that, that'll be published Monday if you want to check out the, all the questions and all my uh, attempts at answers. Let me ask you this. It's early. It's, we're only a week past this. Do you get the sense that Astros fans and baseball fans have forgotten about the month of strife of labor negotiation and are just looking forward to watching major league games? So like, I don't, I think it varies. I think there's some fans who probably just tuned all of it out, right? Like they just don't care about the back and forth of pro pro rata and whatnot. And they just want to tell me when baseball's back. Right. I got, I feel like I sensed a lot of that, which is completely fair. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it varies by person. What have you kind of sensed? I actually, I, I sense, and again, I, I think you're right that you have to adjust for where you are, region, city. I think people are just looking forward to games. Like, I, I, think, I think people were put off and were upset, the ones who chose to engage in the, the labor fight, the economic fight. But I think now that it has come to an end, basically, I think people are sort of trying to get themselves optimistically excited to actually watch games because I think people are desperate in some ways to watch team sports. And again, we're only a week out, but I, my sense is people are just much more focused on what the season is going to be. Like, I I mean, I hear a lot of discussion about 60 game season asterisk and this sort of thing. But then when I hear these discussions, I'm like, listen, the max they could have played was 82 realistically. And like that would have been hard anyway. So the season would have had an asterisk on it anyway. I think considering how ugly it got for that for that month, the constant Twitter updates, people being exhausted by one offer being rejected, the next offer being rejected, like just tell me when there's a season. I think in the last week, I think people have really, it seems to me, have shifted to, okay, we're going to have a season. Let's hope this works. Let's hope, let's hope they start. Let's hope they finish. And I think there's much more, I sense personally, Jake, much more excitement about actually watching games than a sort of situation where it's like, man, yeah, I know they're coming back, but this last month was brutal. I'm just not as excited. That That is my sense right now. Yeah, and maybe it'll be easier to, to assess in three weeks because like, we still have to get through these three weeks of uh summer camp whatever we're calling it we, we never actually came to a, a consensus um three weeks of workouts so i think once it's like july 20th uh the excitement will be there but i'm curious to see the schedule which still hasn't come out and um, is that about a week or so from coming that, out it sounds that's like that's what i saw a report on on monday morning i think it was um but who knows i mean um i i I'm curious to see how they do that. Uh, I, there was a report from the New York Post over the weekend that Yankees Nationals was one of the first games. Yes. Um, so clearly they have in mind, like, all right, how can we maximize this? And, you know, if they're <laughs> smart, they'll, like, move up the West Coast start times and and stagger stagger games so that we have, like, full days of baseball on TV every day. That would be fun. But, Agreed. But we'll see if they do that. 
My here's my quick take on the Astros schedule when it comes out. Let's say in a week, I want to so forty games in the AL West and then twenty games with teams in the NL West. The initial things I'll be looking for, Jake, are when they play the A's and when they play the Dodgers. Those are the two things that my eyes will go to first. Yeah, I think the Dodgers will be the the big one um, for everyone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where these games are with the NL teams because they, they could theoretically just play four games. And I think they'll do two and two, but, you know, they could do four games in Dodger Stadium and the, and the Dodgers never come to Houston, right? Um or some, yeah. something like that. So I'm curious to see how they do it, what, how they, how many primetime games the Astros get if they announce that with the schedule. Um, they got to put the... They, they ha- I think they should probably have more of those than, than less, no? I would agree, I mean, yeah. I would like agree. Like baseball... Even though it's a bad look for baseball, like they got to capitalize on it now. They got to capitalize on the Astros being the villains of baseball by putting them on national TV a lot. Yeah, definitely the Dodgers series would be on there. Yes. Um, It's a shame they don't play the Yankees this year, but that is a shame. But they might. Who knows? That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, the schedule will be will be interesting. Um, You know, I think that'll probably be the next big bit of news where people really can generate excitement from it. Okay, something happened since the last time you and I spoke during our last episode where we kind of focused on just the return uh, and and focusing on how this is going to affect the Astros. They had a media session on Thursday. It was James Click, Dusty Baker, and Jim Crane. Let me set up the context here. Uh, This was about three to four questions into Crane joining the conference call. And Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, was asked how the financial losses of the last few months are going to affect player acquisition or retention in the offseason. You know, I'm pretty good at numbers um, and I run a lot of businesses. The impact on the teams, losses on the teams are accurate. The numbers that are out there north of $3 billion of losses for the teams is accurate. I can tell you that. You know, our losses would be significant, tens of millions. And so the only thing we have to do that can counter that, you know, costs are kind of set for the rest of the season is get some people in the building um, and sell some tickets and some merchandise and uh, some cold beer or whatever they they like to have. I want to know, Jake, if we think that was a bad look for Crane to mention. Here's where I am. I thought it was a it was kind it came across as tone deaf, given the situation with COVID-19, specifically in Houston specifically in the state of Texas. I know he's literally responding to a question where, like, how else do you make up for financial losses, I guess, other than at some point getting people in the building? I just think for right now, that's the last thing they should be focused on because of everything going on in the city of Houston. I agree. I think it was, I think tone deaf is a a good uh, way to describe it. I, I mean, like, on one hand, I appreciate that he was trying to explain the economics of what's going on and and how the team is going to look going forward in terms of economics. But um, yeah, I mean, just right now with how bad things are getting in Houston or have have gotten in Houston and in Texas, um, you know, fans in the stands, having fans in the stands is not safe. And just to, to talk about it like that, um, was not a good look, uh, in my opinion. 
Um, earlier in the call, he kind of spoke a little bit more speculatory, I thought, um, like kind of like in a, in a hopeful t- tone, like, you, yes. you know, hopefully there's fans in the stands at some point in the year. Um, but because of that comment, it kind of got turned into like, oh, they're going to, you know, put fans in the stands on day one and, and, you know, look how bad things are in Houston. That's not, that's not good. So, you know, I don't think anyone's really expecting fans in the stand on opening day, right? Uh, that would be, I would say that would be, sh- there are not many things in this day and age that would shock me. Jake, that would shock me if there were fans in the stands on opening day. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, like it would surprise me if there's fans in the stands before September. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. But in, in Houston, but, um, yeah, I don't know. In general, I thought it was, it was strange and, and telling that like the day after this deal is struck or two days after it wasn't even a deal, but Manfred implements the season, Yes. Uh, after this six weeks of back and forth uh, about how the owners were losing all this money and, and they weren't going to have fans like two days later, like six owners are talking about how they want to have fans in the stands. <laughs> yeah, I guess it gives you it, it, it kind of gives you an insight into the owner mentality, right? Like that's that's the way that these guys that's the way that these guys think that is their mental approach. Yeah. Yeah. And let's get out our, our tiny violins for each of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just I, again from a literal standpoint, I understand what Crane is saying. I mean, he he mentioned that you know the costs are fixed, which I was a little perplexed by because I understand that the costs are kind of fixed, but they're also spending. He's also spending a lot less on payroll this season, and now he put the losses at tens of millions, and that seems reasonable to me. I I have been one that. I've never denied that mo- that a lot of these teams, most, maybe all, maybe every single one of them is going to uh, lose money this season. So that that number that he threw out there, that made sense to me intuitively. And so, yes, I mean, the only way that you make up for it is basically the next couple of years or the next decade, essentially. Like, you're not, you're not going to make up your losses if it's in the tens of millions, most likely in 2021, especially because it's not like this pandemic is most likely going to see, you know, a flat end at one point. It might be more of a uh, it, the recovery might drag on more than we think, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, I also think like it's easy to 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 say that, and but like show us what you've what you've made in the last however many years too, right? Like we need the full context to really assess the losses, yes. uh, because what are, what are, what are the losses based from in terms of the gains in in the last ten years? So I guess how long's he owned the team since twenty eleven? Nine years. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's the big thing you have to think about is, you know, the context of it. Uh, and of course, we never get the full picture in these cases. Yeah. And one one quick addition I, I want to mention, uh, my friend Danny Parkins does a show in Chicago on the score. And he reported last week that he was hearing through one of his sources that the White Sox, I think, you know, were anticipating having up to like 5000 fans a, a, a game or something like that, which I don't even know how it compares to like regular White Sox attendance, especially during the week. Obviously, it's lower. Um, They're going to be interesting this year, though. I, yeah, I think they will be interesting. I, I agree. Like that's a team that you know. Again, we won't see them in in Houston because of because of the way the schedule is going to work. Um, but like as far as fans in the stands, I, I mean, if you're Manfred, because that's ultimately who's going to make that decision. I think along with the local health health officials. Like if I'm Manfred right now, Jake, I am so terrified about just what could happen this season 
and I just want to try to get my 60 games in my playoffs in, that ultimately it's going to be his call on whether to allow fans in, in the buildings. I, I'm assuming that's like that's who the ultimate decision maker is on that. And I'm wondering like what set of facts would need to be in front of him to where he would say, yeah, we're good with having fans in the stands right now and risk whatever's going to happen after that point. I just don't know if it's realistic to get to that stage in a shortened 60-game season. Well, it's a lot more than just him, too. I mean, it's every local government, every state government would be involved. Um, so there's so many things that have to align, um, you know, with local ordinances and, and virus trends that um, yes, it's it's more than just Manfred in this case. But, yeah, I don't know how I mean, I, I don't know how you um, what you look at specifically that would make you comfortable allowing it. Um it's certainly not the numbers in, in Texas or Arizona or California right now, so or Florida. Um, so yeah, I, I think talking about fans in the sands is like to me it's like I cringe even thinking about it out loud. Like I don't know. Like let's let's maybe like get to the season first and see see if yes. see if they can even do that and pull that off before um, you know, talk about fans in the stands. I tend to agree with you, uh, and I'm thinking like at least a month of the regular season before I'm even thinking that. And I'm probably not going to be. I'm probably not going to be thinking about that all year. I have one real quick last question just on this topic, Jake. Do you think baseball would be okay at this stage, given everything going on, with allowing fans in the stands at some ballparks but not all? Yeah, I do. I do because there was. I agree. There was indications of that before when things were. Um, things were looking better in Texas and worse other places that maybe they would let them in in Texas. Um, and now obviously it's flipped, but I, yeah, I think, I think they would. I think they would too. I, I just think it's going to come down to, I hate to you know break it down all the way this way, but it's going to come down to the extra money, the extra revenue they can draw. And if they feel like if it's safe enough in some of these ballparks in some of these cities, then I think they could issue the go ahead. Again, I have severe doubts about, whether that's going to happen in 2020 or not. So, Jake, real quick to promote. So you've got the mailbag that is posting on Monday. I do. It's It should be up by the time you're hearing this. It may even be up right now as we speak. Um, yeah, and then kind of like this week, like regular media access will be in where they'll start to have Zoom calls with Astros people within the media. So uh, you'll start to see more interviews, I guess. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what my stories will look like the rest of the week, but um, you know, it'll be good to kind of get back into like a semi-regular like flow of, of interviewing players and, and the manager. Again, we're open to all suggestions for what you guys want to call this uh, second spring training, spring training 2.0, uh, the restart, how, whatever you guys, whatever you guys think makes sense to call this. It's going to be weird because it's not a typical spring training. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs>